0: Thank you. Um, I'm recording now.
1: And apologies for somebody showing up late, and you're going to have to jiggle their audio That's, track around.
0: To, did you read Crossover? No, I didn't even fucking bring Crossover home. I didn't even mean that, to. It was I, that was the one. I know. Yeah,
1: you said it. You said that it had Spawn in it.
0: I I know I were, I it saw it flipping through it because um, <laughs> I was excited to read it at the store. It was one of the things I was most excited about. Man, I I feel really dumb. Crossover was one of the books I was most excited to read. Um, Django said you should read it. I was like, yeah, that's a good call. I will. Sorry, it's, dude.
1: It's it's related to our guest.
0: Yeah, bummer. Sorry, dude.
1: But only in a way that both issues are related. So you you won't be other than not having read this particular issue. And that's not what he should.
0: Perfectly acceptable Podcast, episode 206, coming to you live from the KEXP studios in downtown Seattle. It's been been expensive getting uh, radio space in the places that each of these podcasts uh, are associated with, number-wise, but we're doing it, we do it because we love doing it, because we love talking about comics in a week where they come out. It's a fun thing we do, we gather, Django, Roman, and Jeff. And we try to not get on each other's nerves, but we fail. We fail and we do it in front of all of you guys (laughs) and girls, the fans of the Perfectly Accessible Podcast. I'm Jeff.
1: Roman just got up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Django. I'm getting on Jeff's nerves. Watch this.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm Roman. I'm just like biting time until Django gets on his nerves.
0: Oh, and I'm what? Jeff's nerves and I'm not even here. <laughs> no one can even get on us. We're smoking dubs in the living room. Hey, today we're going to talk about some comics. And it's, you, we've got a big old schedule for everybody. It's a jam-packed show. I don't know what is happening. I don't know what's happening on this episode of the podcast. Django's in charge and I dropped the ball on a thing related to the surprise. So it's very, very good. But this week we're gonna be talking about Dark Knight's death metal, the last stories of the DC universe, or you could say the diamond hidden in the Dark Knight's rough. Um, We're gonna talk about sword, number one. We're gonna talk about Batman, black and white, number one. Gonna talk about crossover, number two, at a fluid, flexible time. We're gonna talk about Spider-Man, number five. Gonna talk about Marauders, number sixteen. We're gonna talk about Sandman Universe Lock and Key it's one shot zero. It's a zero issue. It's leading into everything, and then you're gonna get those patented Power Hours that you've come to love. Django's Uber Indie Underground. My uncle is cooler than your uncle. Power Hour and Roman's Mary Marvel Minute. This not at all limited to simply Marvel books, but alliterations, dope guys. Good to see you both. How you doing?
1: I'm pretty good. It's. I just wanted to clarify for all the lawyers out there, all the corporate lawyers, that it is a lowercase marvel, and it's right. Mary M E R R Y. So it's like take your take your ceases and your desists and just right up right up in you. I uh
0: I don't I don't know what's going on. I don't know well, what's going on in this thing that we've done every week for like five years now. I, I'll tell you what's four, going four on,
1: I figured uh, episode two hundred and six mm-hmm. was a good time to just bring somebody in to chat with them for a few minutes, okay, and so we 've got a special guest it's not going to be um, not going to be somebody that you 've never talked to before, okay, but it is going to be somebody who's never been on the podcast before, and okay. they're here mostly just to talk to us about specific art stuff, and uh, I thought that um God. I thought you and I could use this as a chance to settle some settle some scores.
0: I love that. <laughs> so, my friends. My friends. <laughs> Dark Knight Death Metal is a thing that has been chowder-hounding its way through the comics universe for coming up on, seems like a year now. It was maybe six issues, maybe going to be seven issues. There's been more one-shots than we could have ever known. If DC had put out a checklist... For the issues involved in death metal at the beginning of death metal it would have only been half as long as as many issues as they have shoved into this bloated turkey carcass that we're supposed to be cooking and sharing on this thanksgiving dinner and because of that a lot of it feels ancillary at times but in in the way that like civil war came out and then there was that amazing issue after civil war i forget what it was called that's like captain america and tony stark talking or something it's like amazing
1: it's like a like a recap with a hug at the end and it's it's everything you need almost
0: sometimes they just slip a thing in here that is absolutely wonderful um and it makes all of the tie-ins that we've stomached through uh worth it and that was what this was for me this this week i really liked it i don't super often like text roman to say like hey did you read this um but we were short on <clears throat> this issue And I didn't know if he had read it. And it was late enough in the day that I wasn't gonna bring it to him. But I really really wanted him to read it because I I kept thinking about how I thought it was a thing that made me think about the type of stuff that Roman would come around the corner and be like, oh, I loved that for all the reasons that I love (laughs) classic DC stories. So I don't really know what's going on in Dark Knight's death metal enough to know for sure why we are on the eve of the big battle that sounds like all of the heroes are going to die. But this issue is just, there's a framing device, which is, it sounds like the multiverse as we know it is about to end. We have mm-hmm. one final night and everyone is living in tents and Themyscira. It is framed around Donna Troy and all of the Teen Titans getting together. And then Wally right. West showing up. And then there's an interlude of a bunch of short stories of different characters on this final night. And then it all brings, follows up on that moment where Wally West showed up. That's, that's the framing device of it.
1: Yeah, and it's it is happening. I like uh, we got death metal number six in today ahead of ahead of the actual release, and I read the next issue this afternoon, and it this is an immediate prequel to that. Like okay. it's happening right before the big battle is is getting ready to pop off.
0: There's just been enough one shots and important information showing up in one shots, waiting to be resolved in the main issue. That the yeah. whole thing has had a weird like I don't know the strict temporal you know, chronological events of this thing unfolding. But
1: yeah, and they've they've been doing that in a weird way because normally crossovers are like like big events like this are crossing over into ongoing series or having mini series outside of that, right? And like, I can't think of another big uh, event that DC or Marvel has done where it's the main series. And then other than like four Justice League issues, it's been one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot, one shot,
0: which is super weird pretty bizarre but what i liked about this is it's pretty easy to read this in a vacuum and just Mm -hmm. perceive it as if the dc universe had one final night how would a lot of these characters spend their final night and that's what i liked about it is i didn't really think about it tied into death metal but the the first one is great roman it just Mm -hmm. i thought you would love it because it's it's got every single teen titans member ever and they go through just like group (laughs) after group shot of all the different teams with art that looks like themed like that art and donna troy is kind of the the main character of it. And she sees all the different groups and talks to all of them a little bit. And it's got a cute shot of everyone, you know, from that Teen Titans crew.
1: And I loved how when they're showing each different crew, so it's like, here's Teen Titans from this series. Here's Teen Titans from that series. Here's the new Teen Titans. And they'll show them in the modern day, all hanging out and talking to each other. But then hovering above that is their old school image. And they did bigger halftone dots on those. Mm -hmm. So it gives it that like old comic texture for each of those. I, th- I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. That
1: was and, cool. I like that.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah. So I just, I thought each of the stories was quite good. I did not read the middle one, which was Aquaman written by Chris Sabella. Cause I'm not particularly a fan of Chris Sabella's work and I don't really care for Aquaman. Um, was,
1: that was the one that I read. And then I thought, did I just read that? <laughs>
0: but the Hal Jordan story was pretty good it's written by Jeff Lemire and then Raphael Albuquerque did the art so American Vampire and and that's just you know Hal Jordan kind of thinking about what he wants to do on his final night and he wants to fly so he flies he goes to the Valley of the Rainbow Rings which has probably come up recently in continuity but it's a new concept to me but it's just like all of these abandoned green rings that look dead in this planet and then Sinestro shows up and they argue a little bit and then Sinestro kind of starts monologuing but he, he kind of says like anyway I just I sort of thought if there was one final battle I'd kind of like to do it and then Hal Jordan is like go fuck you go fuck yourself he's like all right fine I guess I won't and he was implying that he wanted to do it as a green lantern instead of a, a, a yellow lantern and then Hal tosses him a green lantern ring to go into the final battle as a green lantern and that's pretty and they're like let's just go fly about it for a little while and I loved yeah. that.
1: Yeah I, that, that story like I, I got a couple pages in and I was like, who the hell's writing this? And I went back and was like, Oh, of course it's Jeff Lemire. Cause I'm digging it. And I don't normally identify much with uh, Green Lantern, but, um, I thought, I thought that that one was really good. I like, I like that a lot of the word balloons that happen are Sinestro and Hal not really finishing their thoughts. Like you have to figure out what they're, what they're both talking about. Um, you know, like Sinestro's like, it feels different, doesn't it? Truly final. I thought maybe, and then Hal's like, maybe what? Oh, you, you want to, are you kidding me? Like, they never say it until he gives him the ring.
0: And I think that's nice writing. It just speaks to, like, the complexity of the relationship between Hal Jordan and Sinestro and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's a bad guy, but he doesn't think he's a bad guy, and he's not even super black and white bad guy, so yeah, I, I like that story. The next story was really good. It's, Wonder Woman kind of just coming to terms with the fact that she's gonna be leading a battalion in this battle but she doesn't feel like bad about the murders that she's committed and Donna Troy is like no dude that's that's what you do like you you feel all of them and you you will feel all of them and
1: and she got counsel from the Riddler and when he showed up I was like okay all most of the humans on the planet are dead why is the Riddler still alive and what can he possibly bring to the fight? And and then he's like, well, I think I might just hide out in this prison cell while you guys fight because I'm not going to be very good. And I thought that was, I, I was proud of the writing to get me to wonder why he's there and then to just have him be there to kind of show that he's a, a not useful and maybe a little bit of a coward.
0: But the next one I really liked <laughs> in my sort of just like deeply romantic way. And it's the Ollie and Dinah And they're just going on a date because it doesn't feel like they had ever gotten like a first date. And if they could do things better, he would, you know, make sure they have a date. And it looks like maybe he's going to propose to her at one point, but he's like, nah. And she's like, good. I wouldn't want someone to propose to me when the world's about to end. I would want someone to propose to me when the world is like beginning and in front of us and filled with possibility. And you, you know, like they're demonstrating that you want to be with me in front of all this possibility. And then this girl shows up from a different reality because we're dealing with the multiverse and it's, their daughter from a different world and they get it was to like so good. it's so good they get to like experience being married and having kids and meeting their child and like just supporting their child and it's this really great moment even though that issue that's one had like some kind of problematic not not problematic but like it, some of the writing just wasn't great at the beginning of the issue but then it just sort of yeah. punched me with like the emotional beats
2: did you yeah, I really, Roman? I, yeah, I really liked that story. And yeah, first, part of the reason it surprised me because in the beginning of the Green Arrow Black Canary story, I didn't like it. I thought Dinah sounded too like teeny bopperish or whatever. Yeah, and yeah but by the end of it, yeah, I loved it. I love the ending. I love how they did that. I almost yeah. took
1: a picture of the, uh, the Gloom Patrol <laughs> to send it to uh, Roman because he, he likes the show so much. Um, yeah, that was funny. With just them finding out that they had a daughter, but they didn't have a daughter was like that blindsided me. And I I started like my eyes started leaking right about then till the end of that just story.
0: The way that they support her, I thought was so awesome. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to fight and you guys can't stop me. I know my actual parents wouldn't want me to do <laughs> this. And they're like, nah, dude, we've got your back. We support you. You know, I just want to touch your face for a second. And I was like, oh man, parenting and stuff.
1: Well, and the oath that they come up with yeah. for Black Canary, I thought was really good, too.
0: Yeah, um, I really, really like that one. In the interest of time, maybe we can skip the Aquaman one.
1: Uh, yeah, he swims around and talks about land people.
0: It's fine. <laughs> it, th- actually, the art in
1: it, I thought, was pretty interesting, because it, it for a second, I thought that it might be inked by I it's Christopher Mooneyham.
0: I loved the Batman one. This is where it started to get like kicked into high gear for me because the Batman mm-hmm. one is just like very friends, Grey's Anatomy, like will they, won't that, you know, like you're following Dick and Babs for years and they've been dating and not dating and you just want them to get together. And they're like, you know, she's like, no, dude, you have pissed me off. The the the, the timeline, I, Bart, Batgirl hasn't worn that costume, I feel like in quite a while.
1: Not since the new 52, I right.
0: think. Right, yeah. yeah, so... So I don't remember this moment where Dick did something to piss her off. I don't know if that's an old moment or if that's current and I just didn't read it, but he's done something. And I just love that they just decide that like, all right, if this is our last night, we're going to pretend that we're married and Batman's going to marry us. Um, But if we do live and survive this, we're not married, but if we die, we're married. And I just, I love that. Like, I don't know, like just the way that people hold on to what they're pissed off about, even when we know it's stupid as well, but like, when we choose to have the fight. And I just really liked that maturity and immaturity that those two had throughout that whole, like, I just, I I love that. I could mm, 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 just chicken fingers all over my mouth, read that forever.
1: That was good. What I, what I really liked about it was Batman having a very clear logistical conversation with everybody and his narration is him having an emotional conversation with everybody at the same time. And he never says that. And they all are kind of left to, you know, assume that Bruce likes them at all. <laughs> um, and I, I really liked it. It took me a second to figure out what was going on. Because I honestly usually gloss over square boxes that aren't word balloons. But once I once I figured it out, I went back and reread that whole thing. And I thought it was really good.
0: I cannot imagine glossing over comics that I <laughs> am planning to talk about on a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Roman, I'm not so. I'm not sure how in depth you read these different ones, but the next one, did you read the Superman one, Mark Wade? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's actually the only reason I picked it up. Okay, read that okay. story. <laughs> okay, and I, mean, I read, read the other ones kind of, but yeah. Okay, like you glossed over them. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, Though I man. really did really like the you know Batman what you mentioned, Django about Batman's inner monologue. I I I've got a little bit of major crossover burnout really this whole thing with death metal because my problem with the issue because I liked the personal dynamics and everything and the dialogue in a lot of the stories. But overall, I was like, man, I'm feeling kind of bitter about this because I know, you know, yeah, and it's supposed to lead in the future state, I guess. But I just feel like, man, in four months, none of this is going to matter. And since it's not affecting, it's a big cosmic, huge events, they're all going to die, but there's no mention of it in any of the other books from DC. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, why do I care? I mean, this has no dramatic gravitas to it.
0: I guess they rolled the dice on these one shots enough times that, like, eventually they were going to have to do something that I was like, oh, I really liked that one, <laughs> and even in spite of it being death metal. And there then it Earth. ends with the resolution of Donna Troy forgiving Wally West for killing some of them. And I love that.
2: Yeah. What was yeah. she? Oh, is that what? She,
0: that's what he. I didn't know why
2: she was so mad at him.
0: The last time they've really seen him was Heroes in Crisis when he killed. Oh, um, okay several of them including roar raw roy roy who roy gets Harper, brought back yeah. which is why he like tips his hat at wally and like a like a forgiving oh. moment and i get this issue a nine i love the emotional beats of it it made me cry or like tear up two times i'd give it an eight and a half um
1: mostly for the emotional beats there were big chunks of it that i didn't care about like mm-hmm. teen titans i don't I don't identify with them at all. I don't connect with those stories at all. And also I've never given them a chance. Yeah. But I'm jealous of Roman's
0: resonance with them. Yeah. Like I, I wish I could see that shit and, and feel it. And that this made me feel that this made me like, Oh, this is why this is a little bit of how
2: Roman does his do. Dang. I wish, I wish I, you saying that then I wish I had resonated with me more. Cause I did read all the, Titans stuff because i love the titans um and for me you know it was okay i really liked what jangle mentioned with showing the current the modern group and then their original formation of that particular team i mm-hmm. love that artistic choice um but a lot of their dialogue i would <clears throat> and again i was confused because i didn't know what they were referring to exactly and i'd already forgotten <laughs> that wally was the one behind the deaths in the tom king miniseries um and I wasn't really that into the art. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I'd give it a I'd give it a seven. Mm.
1: Clearly not a man who cries while he reads his comics, Jeffrey.
0: Clearly a swing <laughs> and a miss on Jeff's part thinking about Roman, but I, I do think <laughs> I think the event fatigue is real, and I'm I'm feeling it as yeah, well between like Marvel and DC, and they're both doing like two at a time and at this point, mm-hmm. it just feels like more and more like I have to pick the ones that I want to read. And do we have time to go into sword or uh, let's let's go into crossover? Let's go into crossover number two. Yeah. Crossover number two.
1: Number two. <clears throat> Roman, you read this, right? I read this. Yeah. Um, so, Jeff Shaw, Jeff Shaw, okay. Donnie Cates, D. Cuniff, John J. Hill. Um, in this, we get what I think on the first page is probably a spawn TV person. And I think we talked about that in the first issue, how some of the TV people look like spawn characters, right? The spawn TV people. And I think spawn shows up um, according to the solicitations in the next issue. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And then we kind of just pick up right where the last one left off. We get a little more information about the, uh, the way that, um, the government has handled superheroes that escaped from the bubble before they put the bubble around it. Some superheroes got out of Denver. And so uh, they have like a supermax prison underneath everything in, uh, that has those heroes locked up in cages. And uh, you can tell who they are because of the the way that they're colored with the half ton dots coming out of there. And then um, we find out that the religious zealots, son is being recruited to be uh, part of the government group and the, that the little girl who showed up in the comic book store in the first issue, it has, has some powers as well. And then the other big thing is that not only superheroes came over, uh, there are also a bunch of regular people who showed up when the, when the whole thing went down and those people are in kind of uh, not really a concentration camp, but they're, they're all locked up in some government facility. Um, sort of like echoes of um, illegal immigrants. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're in, they're in a detention center or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. And uh, they're all and just they're camps. Just, just some like a summer camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that this was a really good second issue. What did you, uh, what you think of this roman did you identify with the character of Otto, the comic book store owner
2: no okay well yeah looks <laughs> a
1: lot like you buddy <laughs>
0: that's the one i said reminded me so much of him last issue yeah yeah everyone sorry i gotta interject but I, I don't think i've said it yet. but i i was moving too quick on tuesday doing 100 things like django who was doing 102 things but i forgot several books that were very important for me to read and crossover and Batman Black and White are two of them, and I'm really, really bummed about it. And I felt like it was a light week, and Jenny even told me to make sure I would read it, and I forgot. You'll so I'm sorry. Him. That's my silence.
2: You'll get to him Yeah, yeah, you'll get to them. Yeah, I, unfortunately, yeah, and even Otto's like the fact he doesn't know if the store's insurance is paid up, if they even have insurance, and his employee took care of it. Right. Yeah. If, if I own a shop, that that'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for paying
1: that. I didn't know you were doing that. Cool. <laughs> Well, so Jeff, the reason that I was excited to talk about this issue with you is because of the, the halftone dots that they use to denote characters from the other universes, right? And that was something yeah, yeah. that they did in the first issue. Um, and I brought somebody here for, uh, to, to talk to us about halftone dots a little bit
0: oh nice um, you do yeah. realize that this usage of halftone dots is different than the usage of halftone dots that brought like started the original conversation right oh yeah yeah.
1: oh yeah absolutely um but i'm gonna bring our buddy
0: oh fuck yeah
1: um jim connecting connecting getting all getting it
2: all <laughs> ironed out look at those dancing dots
3: there we
2: go hey oh. jim how are you doing
3: <laughs> god damn my first uh, Zoom experience, other than uh, a few casual things uh, via my my wife's uh, laptop, but uh, nice. How are you guys doing?
0: Doing well, Jim. To have made it this far into the pandemic with only a couple casual Zooms under the belt is admirable, nah, at the amazing. very least. Yeah.
3: No, I avoid uh, humans, uh, no matter what. So what's I love that? it. <laughs>
1: Spoken pandemic like a true shame. artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jim there's uh, something interesting happened tonight I've, I've been going through back issues pricing up comics for you know all of, all of the pandemic and tonight uh, you and I talked about after I had quit pricing up back issues we talked about like what you've done and you mentioned that you were an inker on hate for a bunch of issues and it turned out that that was literally the last comic that I put a price tag on before I quit for the day was hate wow. number 30. Yeah. That's a <laughs> uh, super, super weird coincidence. Um, uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really, really lucky to uh, collaborate with Peter Bagg. Uh, it was sort of a dream job. It allowed me to quit my day job in 1996. And I, I haven't had a day job since then Oh, because yeah. uh, I mean, he was paying me a hundred bucks a page to ink the, the comic and I lived really cheaply. And he would give me like every other issue, he would give me the entire issues uh, original art so I could make some extra money on it that way. But yeah, yeah, really looking forward to seeing the collected hate. I haven't seen it yet. Um, Man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That was 96 you were doing that, is that what you said?
3: Oh, I think it was 93 to 96. It was several years, Um, almost 350 pages of, of inking. So it was, it was a steady, a steady gig. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Nice. Um, Well, part of the reason that uh, I asked you on is because Jeff and I have had an ongoing conversation about halftone dots and you're a, like an old, older school print guy, I think than either of us. And you have more experience with that, but also one of the hallmarks of your art is a lot of definitely not halftone dots, right? Like you've got your own stippling,
3: yeah. I mean, uh, I was, I was obsessed with uh zip tone or, or uh screen tone. I think it's also called mm-hmm. or bend a bend a dots mm-hmm. uh, just because I like the effect. And it was also easy, easier to just slap some of that on there and you get a nice consistent gray rather than hand, hand rendering that gray with, uh, with stippling or a rapidograph or whatnot. Uh, but I, I was uh, fairly adept at, at both techniques, uh, sort of obsessed with, with all manner of uh, uh, texture and and, and uh, um, yeah, I, I don't remember when I first got hip to, to zip a tone, but uh, like I said, it was sort of addictive and uh, um, it was kind of a, an easy way to uh, get a, a, it almost has a psychedelic quality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the sharp contrast of the, the big dots and whatnot. And I mean the... Lichten, Lichtenstein and so many people picked up on that and um it's it's a uh, and to this day of these paintings I'm doing I'm using these large circles in the background mm-hmm. they're certainly not uh like zippitone, but uh it's it's a similar a similar uh, idea or texture field kind of thing
0: There's like a yeah the, the psychedelic quality is interesting that you mentioned that cuz yeah that that uniform perfection and re- repetitive nature of it it's like uh staring at a lot of glass on acid or something. Um, yeah, it, it, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, the conversation kind of originally, st- well, and so what's interesting about like zippetone specifically is, you know, I'm not an artist, but it seems like there's been a, an increase in the amount of frequency that I've seen it even in the last like seven years or so. Like it seems like a lot more, even like mainstream comic creators are putting that into their work um, than I was seeing like 10 years ago. But Django and I were reading a comic, and someone was using that Zipatone in different like separations and density of the dots to sort of denote closeness to the, the kind of the reader camera. And Django was like, "That's not how you use halftone dots." And it started this big conversation about like, are these halftone dots or are they Zipatone dots? And is it is it how do you use them? And is it for texture? And can you use them wrong or? Or, you know, what? what is the origin of these things? And it, it, was, an, it was a conversation that persisted for, well, I guess that was Couple like three years, years yeah. ago that we started <laughs> that in. And I was like, no art is wrong. You get to do whatever you want. He's like, yeah, but that's not how the art started. And uh, we bumped our heads on it for a while.
3: Well, there's, there's, there's using it with uh, Zipatone film, which you have to physically cut out with a, a number 11 exacto blade. And then there's the the, the computer version, which is much, much easier. I mean, you, it's it's night and day. It, it doesn't have that funky hand hand cut quality to it mm-hmm. that the original zippitone. I mean, you look at a uh, Dan Klaus, like L- Lloyd Llewellyn comic. It's just it's chock full of zippitone, mm-hmm. and it's got that funky, hand carved kind of quality to it. Uh, it's hard to describe. Um,
1: it's a lot different than just applying a pattern in Photoshop or whatever, right?
3: Yes. Yes. and uh, it, I, I was looking at this crossover comic you gave me, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I don't see modern uh, mainstream comics at all, really. And yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this one actually has some really interesting things that I think they're doing with the uh, patterns. Like just on the first page, they're using kind of a, a horizontal television pattern.
3: Yes. To- the, the, the logo itself has... Has dots in the word cross. If you noticed uh, the big yeah. circles, and, yeah, yeah, and, and, and using it, it's those also it's, over and over. They're, they're using it to denote uh, certain characters uh, and who they are by the big dot uh, zipatone patterns on them and stuff. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that these ones, in it to my eye, those look like actual like full color halftone dots. So like the full color rosettes, as opposed to a zipatone for the most part, not on Spawn's cape in there, but uh, like the, the hands coming out near the front of the
3: oh, yeah, 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 screen, yeah. those are,
1: those are rosettes rather than Zipatone.
3: Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a whole other thing is uh, when you're using it as, as color separations, which I, mm-hmm. I used to do that. I would, I would make full color CMYK color separations using Zipatone and maybe a, a, an acetate overlay. And in that case, in order to avoid the moiré pattern, you have to, you have to structure the, the the CMYK at certain angles. It's an art form, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably, it's all done, you know, automatically with computers nowadays. But uh, I mean, you look at certain underground comics in the early 70s uh, were, were done that way. Because again, it's a cheap way to, to make color separations for a comic cover, as opposed to having it, uh, whatever they did back then, I mean. Um, that and it, it also adds this funky quality to it. I think of Spain Rodriguez and these certain underground comics that that have obviously been done with uh, acetate overlays with 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 Zip-a-tone for the color, and uh, it, it gives it this funky, freaky quality yeah. <laughs> with these big dots. You know, they're very uh, they're very. Uh, there's something about them that's very attractive. I don't know what it is.
0: Do you remember where, like, you had mentioned, like, clouds? Do you do you remember the first time that you saw that, and um, or was that a thing that was just common knowledge to, like, you know, producing and making comics at that time?
3: Well, I, I remember seeing it. I think probably in underground comics when I was uh in sixteen or seventeen. But then you see it and you go like, what is that? How do they do that? Um, and then I just discovered at like the, the the art store that there was this chart pack and letra set. Um, I, used, I always call it Zipatone. Right. Some people call it screen tone. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it, it, you can get any, get 10%, 20%, 30% uh, gray, and you can get different percentages of dots like the fine, fine dots versus the big, large dots. So, I always had this huge folder full of this, this stuff and used, I used acres of it. I used um, square miles of Zipatone. If you look at uh, maybe my coffee table book, it's like, I I just, uh, I was addicted to it. Uh, When I was broke, I used to steal it. Um, um, The same with rub on (laughs) lettering, because uh, I I found out that if you bought like a big, uh, a big pad of uh, um, like, uh, like cheap um, newsprint, you could stash uh, a few sheets of Zipitone in the newsprint and buy the $5 pad of newsprint and get like 40 oh. bucks worth of
0: free Zipitone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim, it's interesting. I've, I've been like, I, it only came across my, my brain in like just sort of following some of those fantographic artists um, like um, Jim Rugg and Ed Piscor do that YouTube channel. And they oh, were talking Piscor. about. Piscor's
3: big. He, I, I don't know if he's doing that on a computer or not, but he's, 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 he's not. using the big dots, man. Oh, he's he's not, doing he's exactly
0: easy. what you said. He's like wow. finding caches of it because it's harder to find yeah. now. And um, I just, I learned that there's a whole culture of artists that kind of like Zipatone is, is kind of like Band Aid. It's a, it, as far as I know, it's a brand that produces this it's type a of brand, thing, but yeah, it's it synonymous. doesn't exist anymore. Right. Exactly. So people are hunting this stuff down. Yeah. And I just love to hear you say like, I use square miles of it because like, I just love oh my God, like,
3: hidden yeah. currency, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I haven't used it in years. I haven't had any need to use it really. Um, but uh, I, I know in Japan, I think it's still, uh, uh, I think Piscor posted a photograph of himself at a store that had like a whole aisle of, of Zipatone and, and it was for manga. I think they still use it there for that. And uh, they they had not only dots, but they had like clouds. They had all these other things that you could just slap in, in a background and, 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 you know, just slap it in there. Um, so I, th- I think it's still thriving in Japan, but I, as far as I know, it's probably not even available in America or manufactured like it was. Um, so
1: is it, um, is it something that you cut out and tape to the page or is it something that you rub onto the page? Like the letters? you Well,
3: about? there was a, there was a rub on variety, but it was really crappy and inconsistent. Um, the the, the the version I used was like a film it was a transparent film with the dots on it mm-hmm. and you, you would sort of roughly cut out a piece of, of a chunk that you needed to go in a certain place you slap it on the original art and then with a number 11 X-Acto knife you cut it out very carefully and you lift the, the the residual stuff off of there and you've got it you know um, and you have to be very careful to keep track of The little pieces because sometimes they would end up where they they didn't need to be. So it's a whole, it's a whole process that, that I I, I don't know, I I sort of miss it. Actually, I've got a big folder of it somewhere. It's probably all worn out by now, but
1: It's another thing uh, that computers have made easier and also probably a bit worse.
0: What I yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love it seems like people like you're describing of of holding on to it people use it like Christmas paper you're like well I've got this weird l-shaped portion because I wrapped this other box I'm gonna, I'm gonna save this l-shaped portion because I've got some drawing somewhere that's gonna need this weird shape that fits perfectly into it like no that's yeah.
3: that's it exactly that's it exactly and uh, sometimes you'll have very little on the on the original sheet left but you always hold on to it because you might need that little chunk for something um, yeah. Yeah, it was a different time back then. I don't know. I I sort of miss it. Uh I mostly work with with real materials with ink or acrylic nowadays I don't use the graphic graphic art tape or the the shading film or the all the, all the other old stuff. Uh, but
1: uh, but you're are are you using uh computers for anything right now?
3: Like for, oh, for yeah. art? No, they're in, in, they're in te- integral to mo- what I'm doing. I mean, uh in terms of building models that I, I, I base my paintings and some of my other art on. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I mostly work as a photo realist these days. I haven't yeah. really done comics for many, many years. <laughs> I gave up on comics uh, around 2004 or so. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Why was that?
3: Well, there wasn't any money in it. Um, I, I was really lucky. I was really lucky to work mm-hmm. with, with Pete Bagg and, uh, and being able to to make some decent money on it, uh, but uh, good lord, to, to do a graphic novel, it's just it's inconceivable. Mm-hmm. Um, the The last comic I did was Trucker Fags in Denial, which um, I did one page a month. It was it appeared in this uh, this stripper magazine in Portland called Exotic Magazine, and I, you know, and then it, I was able to really take my time on it because it was only a page a month. I got a hundred bucks a page. Uh, we collected it and, and published it, and uh, it's, I can't even again can't conceive of making money on comics these days. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so and you- I, I sort of became a portrait artist, which it, it was. I made money doing that, so it's like, all right, I'm just going to do this. I learned a lot from doing comics. I learned a hell of a lot, but uh, I uh, it's it's not my not my forte.
1: <laughs> so you're getting a hundred bucks a page to ink. And then you moved up in the world and down to a hundred bucks a page to pencil and ink. <laughs> <laughs> well, ten years later. Know,
3: yeah, you know, but I still uh, that that comic, Trucker Fags in Denial, went through multiple printings, and ended up making pretty decent money. And I and and uh, I sold all the original art to a guy who's donating it to a, a, a university archive in Ohio, I think. And they were really oh. glad to receive it. It was so strange um, that this guy gave me several thousand dollars for the artwork, and then he was donating it to this yeah. uh, this this university archive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Very the strange. book. It's it's a it's a really funny kind of meta commentary on
3: yeah probably, masculinity probably, and probably get get us in trouble nowadays if it came out. Fanographics originally published it, yeah. but. <laughs> they didn't express any interest in, in republishing it. So
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, everyone listening, uh, get a hold of Fanographics and tell them that you want a copy of it and that way they'll get that <laughs> reprint in there. And then you would also mention I was selling them
3: book. I was selling them for uh, I was selling original first editions for like a hundred dollars on Amazon for a long time. Mm-hmm. When things before were out print. Yeah.
0: Uh, you had mentioned your table coffee book, uh Visual Abuse yes yes so anyone listening who is curious about jim blanchard's art check it out he's come to our store before we have some stop copies in the store um but it is a gorgeous gorgeously printed book
3: yeah i'm very happy with that very happy to get that body of work uh all in one place and, and printed properly and uh because I, I don't think a lot of people have seen that work it was sort of it appeared in all sorts of different obscure places and uh to get it all in a place like that was great, and Fanagraphics is great. They published a, a second anthology called Meat Warp, which is kind of this crazy uh, I don't know, psychedelic porno, violent psycho stuff that I did with uh, this guy named Chris Cagle, and uh, there's that's that's also by Fanagraphics Underground, their underground imprint, and that's sort of a companion volume to the uh, the Visual Abuse book. So. So yeah, it's great to get all that old work collected and in uh, and, and, and one place like that and available to the, the modern world. Um,
0: I'm, I have a tremendous amount of respect for fanographics and just like what they choose to produce and who they choose to work with. Um, what's your experience been with them in general?
3: Oh, absolutely great. Uh, I worked in their production department for a couple of years as a, like an art director and, and designer. I worked in their warehouse when they, um, so they're family to me. I mean, absolutely. Um, I met met Peter Bagg within a week of moving to Seattle in 87. Um, I just, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, Gary Groth, Eric Reynolds, uh, Kim Thompson, rest in peace. It was a great work atmosphere uh, working there when I did. about as, as uncorporate a an atmosphere as you can imagine. <laughs> was, that's what I like. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks for coming by, man. That, hey, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, we should we should do maybe a full length episode like this at some point.
3: Oh, happy to yammer, yammer as long as you want me to. <laughs>
0: Jim, I am so into like things that most people are assume are are maybe like I would love to hear about inks and yeah, yeah, all all sorts of that oh, sort of stuff and I, yeah.
1: I actually have one other one other question, and I, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this or not. But um, I don't know if you noticed, but in in crossover, only the characters from the other world, from the comic book worlds, are colored ever having blue hair.
3: Oh and it's that uh, it's that Superman cyan blue I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and like I remember when I first when I was a kid first getting into comics it drove me nuts that all these dudes had
3: blue <laughs> hair. Well Superman's the, the key one there is cyan hair like what the hell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I always eventually I started assuming that it was because just solid black hair looked dumb, and you couldn't get enough texture in the hair in early printing, to make that work. And clearly now they can do whatever they want.
3: Yeah, yeah, but I, I did not notice that. But uh, yeah, it's a tough one. But I mean, is Superman going to have brown hair? What are you going to do? It's got to be, it's got to be something. Just <laughs> keep it <is keeping laughs> black. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, blue hair. Well, blue hair is more commonplace nowadays than ever. Yeah, before, for I sure.
0: Guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us and talking hey, to us. I really my appreciate pleasure. it, man. Sure, dude. All right.
1: We'll see you uh, next time. See
0: you around, yeah, when the store opens up. <laughs> Rock and roll music.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right, thanks, Jim. Thanks.
1: So Jim's at jimblanchard.com.
0: Everyone uh, check out his, yeah, the visual abuse, the graphic ink um, is gorgeous, and it was awesome to get to look at, and it is uh it feels rebellious in an awesome awesome way Um, yeah
1: and and we'll put a link to his book we have the book in stock at the comics place as of this recording visual two copies
0: yeah so yeah so we can we
1: can link that on the show notes
0: guy knows Um, a lot about inking Django, thanks for bringing jim on board
1: yo you're welcome jeff i was uh glad to sabotage you with a surprise interview
0: oh buddy you can sabotage me anytime don't say that because i I saw the
1: beginning of this episode
0: you don't even have to get, you know, like just surprise sabotage me. You don't have to give me the, the warning beforehand. You're, I have, I have confidence that anytime I'm falling, you'll be there to catch me. I'm not super, super worried <laughs> about it. Um, but Roman, I'm really excited to take our shirts off and talk about sword by Al
2: Ewing and Valerio Shetty on should, art.
0: Should,
2: I, I am too, but should we, you know, I don't know, give, I don't know, give some scores to crossover.
1: I give Jim Blanchard oh, so a ten point oh.
2: Yeah, I give Jim Blanchard a ten
0: point plus some. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, um,
2: I forgot crossover. And crossover, I'll give crossover two. I'll give crossover two. Yeah, uh, i a nine point five. Wow. The I way you it
0: said lot. that, like as as you much much the, the, the issue, sound but... that you made went eh, was like a Roman not nine point five. It was a Roman six
1: and a half or a oh, seven. Okay. We,
0: eh. Eh.
1: I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to give it a really good score. <laughs> yeah, how did Roman, how
0: did he score. how did he not give it a good <laughs> score and have that conversation with yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: how, okay, Roman, what what pushed it from uh, the 6.5 that we were sure you you were going to give it up to the 9.5?
2: The blue hair. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, the blue hair and you know, I thought the there's just so many good little things in comic storytelling in this in fact i even thought i just had it a second ago i even thought that the um, oh the prison where they've got the superheroes from the for the other dimension i even kind of thought that was a throwback visually i could swear there was an issue with spawn early yeah, it was on when uh, it had, like the guest stars is the guest Chris, creators coming the, in wasn't there an issue the sims dave sim dave sim did it was that it yeah the dave Sim issue that had like superheroes in prison somewhere
1: Yep, and it's almost exactly it, it's a it's a yeah. reference yeah. to it except Batman is there. Sword,
0: sword by Al sword. Ewing and Valerio Shidi. I'm sorry, I stormed the gates with this a minute ago. Um, oh, this is one of the first X Men specific books spinning out of Ten of Swords. I know the Union did, but that also seems like maybe Marvel, like a larger Marvel thing. So, so yeah. yeah we're, Oh, sorry. Django, oh, did, did you want, want a sword? Th- no. He oh. said he didn't at the beginning. No, I oh, okay. This is sorry, just am sorry, you and I, The old okay. married couple <laughs> okay. at Denny's arguing over which side of No, That's, that's, side that's of cool. I was
2: just thinking Django would dig the logo because I really dug it because the X becomes a sword through the circle. There's Thanks. no X in sword. Uh, no, Roman, one...
0: you're totally right, but it also looks like the floating sword station as well. I didn't think about it it at all until you mentioned that, but you're right. It's both a sword and it kind of looks like the station.
2: It excited me because I didn't notice it until halfway through the issue. And I was like, wait a minute, that's a sword, not an X.
1: (laughs) I'm Googling it. I'm I'll find it. I'll find it. You guys, you guys chat amongst yourselves. I'm going to look this logo up.
2: Roman, what'd you think about this? Um, I dug it. I didn't think I'd get into it because, you know, I never cared about Abigail, Abigail brand or sword at all. And I didn't, to the point, I didn't even know Abigail brand was a mutant. Um, which I found out in this issue, um, but it was cool. I mean I, I, Magneto, Magneto goes up to visit him, and I like the fact that he goes under his own power just because you know he points out that you know if you 've got powers, sometimes you you have to use them and take up a challenge, like can I get from Earth to an orbiting space satellite under my own power rather than just use a Krakoan gate because I wanted the same thing why didn 't he just use a gate? I like little bits of character like that. i like, okay, yeah. Magnet always, you know, making sure he doesn't get rusty. Yeah. Magnets, metal, water, rust. Um, <laughs> Django,
0: what this is, and I went into this not knowing what this is. Like what, I don't even for sure really know what sword is. And Ab- Abigail Brand was in charge of Alpha Flight and that disbanded and other series that I think Ewing was involved in. And, but what this is, what this book is about is creating a mechanical... Evolve like in the way that the five, you know, resurrect people on Krakoa, Uh they created a six person squad whose powers work together in a certain way. That, when connected to sort of second squad whose powers are working in a certain way, it is the Krakoan space force. They're exploring space and the universe, but instead of doing it with space shuttles like America does, they're doing it with mutant powers trying to expand beyond cool. just sort of like the bounds i didn't realize that that's what this was until it becomes self-evident within the issue itself and i think that it is so awesome and the mechanics for the team are really well done they create a great infographic for it about how like sort of there's different people who qualify in different ways and then like there's a shared person like mm-hmm. there's these two hexagons that intersect and I the like graph- graphic graphic yep the graphic design is on point So it
1: sounds like a six person fastball special for space.
0: Yep. And they refer to the fastball special when trying to dumb down to us what this group is. Nice. And they go to like the far, like the font changes, the art changes, and they kind of go to this, like the narration. instead of being in bubbles, starts becoming these like big words and it becomes this sort of Mm. like cosmic Marvel scene over several pages as they kind of extend to the far reaches of reality and, and grab this like, pyramidal structure and then bring it back and and that's when it kind of becomes like oh this book is about like al ewing writing it. Fe- roman i don't know if this felt to you. it reminded me of the ultimates book that he wrote which i thought was fantastic justin loved that it got a little mired in it got wrapped into some event comics like civil war mm-hmm. ii when it was coming out but it seems like an attempt to kind of just do that same thing of like i'm gonna just keep reverse engineering onions
2: yeah, this will be really interesting um, doing those sci-fi cosmic onion layers type of thing and, and, and working it in, you know, using the sword metaphor so well finally in this whole crossover and everything now that it's over um, for this organization. In fact, Magneto, even while he's there, he's pushing the sword's space station into like geosynchronous orbit over Krakoa. So awesome. And why they're talking and everything, he's just doing this and, and, you know, it's no effort for him. He's like, you know, whatever. But when he does get it right into position, it's right after they come, that team comes back from their, their interdimensional mission to get that triangle. And then the very next page, he's got it in position and he has like a little metal sphere he's formed to show them, to illustrate it. And he's got the sword station in position right over Krakoa, but it's also reminiscent of like the sword of Damocles. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of oh, yeah. Story and how, you know, people in power, there's, there's, it's just this tiny trigger wire that could like cause it all to come to tragedy because you've got this sword of power over you.
0: I didn't think about that metaphor. I was excited for you to talk about why they're using the metaphor of the sword well, but you explained it. But that idea, I, I love that because that creates this overtone in this series of like, all of this can come crap, like, yeah cropping down on Krakoa at any moment like our our reach for the stars is the thread and that human and mutant reach for what is beyond us is also the thing that can very easily cause that string to break and have the store sword fall on Krakoa. good good read yeah
1: so other than magneto magneto Mag- other than Django, Eric, you would
0: huh, jango fucking d- love say it say it right look at the beginning of this look at this <laughs> look at this this is the sword That's station cool. and all those vertical panels are a small sphere moving closer and closer. And uh-huh. that sphere is liquid metal that Magneto has created around himself. So he can just float into oh, right. space through the atmosphere in a ball of metal. And it is, um, you know, like Roman likes Al Ewing. I like Al Ewing. I think he's kind of hit and miss, but I think that what Justin says several weeks ago, about al ewing books the beginning can be kind of hit or miss but then they mm-hmm. always several issues in you're like fuck why aren't i reading this mm-hmm. and and so like he's got these great hits in my book he's got more of them i think in other people's books and my only shortcoming is that like the in, the beginnings can be a little slow like we only find them when right. we're dead or they're dead it's, i'm still trying to decide this one right off the bat like the things that i like about ewing like his creativity his like Morrison, Mark Wade, like science intellect, and then right. like the the internal consistency of like the team working together, like it feels like a math equation. That's really satisfying to my
2: Tetris brain. Nice. Yeah, he's even got the like those writers. He's even either knows or completely does his research about people's um, the characters' relationships and stuff. I mean. This is one of the comic I had to keep on looking at going, okay, who's Fabian Cortez and why does yeah. Magneto have beef with him? And there's a whole thing there going back years and even the character Peepers or Peeper.
0: Yep, I don't know who that is.
2: Yeah, I had to look that up. They're old buddies because he was in like the second version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and was like one of the only ones that Magneto actually liked as a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's going back to like the 70s. Okay. So yeah, it's cool that he Ewing has that part of his uh, work approach too. So other than Magneto, who who are the
1: characters that we would know? Or, or are the X-Men Abigail so Brand out?
2: Okay. and Magneto? Um,
0: okay. Are the probably yeah. pre-existing ones and, and Cable
2: and Cable yeah. and you know there's other minor characters like Gateway and Lila yep. Cheney, Chaney, Blink. They're all around. Manifold,
0: kid, kid, science equation, kid, yeah, kid. Quick, kid. i mean, Whiz they're all kid. characters.
2: Yeah, they're all characters that have appeared before.
0: Yeah. What I like about him though is that he's riding around in a red version of Professor Xavier's wheelchair from the X Men the animated series, and probably just <laughs> the nineties X Men comics. Yeah, I I liked it a lot. I my only complaint at all is that uh kid cable is written way more mature here than he's been written in other series and he's like the one character that seems like the x-men writers need to be like what age is this kid like is he mm-hmm. an 11 year old or is he an 18 year old because there's a lot of difference there
2: yeah it surprised me that he's their security director because going into this I, th- I was thinking cable but he's a punk ass dope nowadays mm-hmm. he doesn't <laughs> he can't make him ahead of anything but yeah he reads like a different character here what do you give it roman i'll give it a nine i probably might be even higher i don't know i i, I was okay with the art i like the backgrounds more than i like the people mm-hmm. um yep yeah i'll I, give it a I nine i mean there's a lot more to the story than i expected and i'm gonna go quick. nine as well guys i've got uh? two quick
0: books before we get into both of your guys' segments is it cool if i just plow through these
1: yeah but we need a name for it nope
0: it's just jeff <laughs> jeff cleaning up the dust so Can you-
1: i I read that Spider-Man, first of all. But oh, oh also, sorry, I thought I was
0: the only one. What if we called it Figly in the Middle? Yeah, okay, okay, cool. So I think Roman should start then, and then we'll do Figly in the Middle, <laughs> and then Django will clean it up with his My Uncle is Cooler Than Your Uncle Power Hour. <laughs> all um, right, Roman. So it's... Oh, God, but you know, yeah, before thought, we get to all of that... Before, I don't have that one here, so I fucked up. Guys, I fucked up again.
1: Listen, there are much worse things than forgetting to read a comic book.
0: Okay, I got a good segue for us. All right. All right, Batman Black and White, everybody. I looked at this book and I thought to myself, some of these artists I don't think are benefiting from being in black and white. And I've Holy never shit. felt that from looking yeah. at Batman Black and White books. But it seems yep. like the crop of artists they've selected actually could use color.
1: Yeah, I had I had that exact same thought. In fact, I almost wonder if this particular chunk of the Batman black and white stories that they're publishing weren't supposed to be in some death metal spinoff. Like, yeah, i just don't just take the color out and print it. There is some beautiful art in here, but I think that it all would have been enhanced with colors um, maybe with the exception of, uh, was it Emma Rios? Is that her name? Yeah, Emma Rios. I thought that that worked really well in, in full black and white. Um, and the Greg Smallwood was good too. But the, the first one is um, Jimmy TIV with Trad Moore doing the art. And what a
0: weird combo.
1: Yeah. Super weird. Yeah. combo. Super cool art. Um, somebody else talk about it. Cause I don't but just want to shit on it.
2: That, that was the one, the first I saw this was Tuesday morning upstairs and, and, Jeff showed it to me and said, look at this Trad Tradmore art. I mean, it's great. It's Trad Tradmore. It's beautiful. But without color, it's really hard to follow his, his, uh, his visual storytelling. Yeah. Especially in the battle scenes and kind of in the middle of the book where Batman's like plowing through all these ninjas from the top of the page to the bottom of the page. But it's, it takes like 10 minutes to decipher it all.
1: And it's a super cool sequence once you grok yeah. it.
2: Yeah, I did think it was a cool idea for the story. I'm the Demon's Fist, just the whole story is from the perspective of, you know, one of the ninjas that works for Talial Ghul or Raz. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a cool idea.
1: That one actually made me when I when I that was the first story in the book, and it made me think of Jeff. Do you know what I'm going to say? Um,
0: Man on the Moon Three.
1: No, I was going to say oh. the art of. Keith Giffen, hmm. in the nineties, those books I keep handing you. Well, so Roman JH Williams the did a did a story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's like that classic super flowy JH Williams the thing where it's everything is one panel is bleeding into the next, all connected by Bruce's mom's pearls, of course, because that's the only thing you can connect things with in the DC universe right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I thought was interesting about that is that he's basically taking a tour through different artists in Batman's life. Right. So there yeah. are characters hanging out that look just like Neil Adams is drawing them. There's characters that look like there's even, there's even one um, from that dark Knight return or that legends of the dark night um, illustrated Seth by Fisher? Scott, Seth Fisher. Yeah. There's a Seth, oh, Fisher the Seth Fisher in there. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, and he's he's got like Alrid, the the Batman sixty six looking stuff. I've just never seen JH Williams do anything other than himself. And well, this is like
0: yeah, his Black Glove arc in the Morrison run oh, is I had some of that. It's decidedly three different styles. Like it That's is true. It's. The only time I've ever seen him do markedly different styles, and it's yeah. a thing to behold.
1: Uh, the the next story is actually relates to the Grant Morrison Batman, it does. Run, yeah. It's Talia. I haven't read that. It's it's Bruce. <laughs> Let's see. It's written by Paul Dini, art by Andy Kubert. Connection number one, right? Because he did he did some of those issues. Yep, in fact, he did, he did the issues yep, with the Man Bats Damien.
0: and six six six. Yeah, yeah, the yep, Man yep, Bats. All of those things,
1: which are in here but it's an earlier version of the man-bats, the man-bat ninjas. And they're a little dumber and less organized. And they're still, kind of like they, they, they've escaped Talia's power.
0: And they're all yelling, and, hail Leviathan.
1: No, they're, they're, they're dumber than that. But there's even like the, the weird little bat, helicopter like the, 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 the autogyro,
0: <laughs> decidedly Morrison thing that he uses yeah. over and over again
1: yeah i think i think this might be uh, an eight page thing that should be read along with uh, batman in quarantine your other podcast we'll, we'll
2: uh, add it in our other podcast our we'll other add that podcast. in there yeah it was a lot of fun i mean it i like the i like the idea that i didn't like that talia shows up and she just seems too kind in this mm-hmm. the fact she's oh i didn't have the heart to like destroy these version one ninja man bats I was like really come on Talia would have just killed them all I've seen you about it
0: I've seen you kill your kids and stuff but yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) but I did love the ending of it because Batman like gets Swamp Thing to adopt them basically and so now Swamp Thing has a whole troop of ninja man bats at his at his beck and call yeah yeah I thought that was pretty awesome
0: yeah, I, I only really looked at that first thing and flipped through the rest and I thought uh, the Tradmore specifically needed color. But I, I think these black and white books, I love that they exist. And I, and actually, this week, that one came out. Um, the Christmas special came out. And then the other one we talked about came out. But oh, and
1: also the Flashpoint special. Tales, oh, from, yeah, the Tales from the Dark Multiverse Flashpoint. Yeah, yep, yep. There's four
0: square bound um, DC books. But the Merry Christmas one had some of the like best art in one of these I, I didn't read the whole thing, but it had um, Steve Lieber, Vanessa Delray Rey did one, who I uh-huh. love. This artist named Danny did, did. Roman, did you read the Plastic Man story in there? You bet I did. The artist that Danny, yeah, the art was great. I loved that art. And then the next one was uh, this sort of gender swapped DC universe. Um, I liked the art in that as well. But they they just, with the exception of like maybe one or two that were very house style, it was all of it was pretty pushing the envelope DC arts. Anyway, just so oh. I, I like that Batman Black and White and these other books, I, I, I think that they are served their best when they're kind of actually allowing artists and writers who don't have a voice to have a voice. And these weird artists should be doing black and white art. Like you know, like, like Raphael Grampa and oh, yeah. like artists like that are the ones that I see in these Batman Black and White stories um, that don't really get to do monthly books.
1: And you said that Steve Lieber was in that?
0: Yeah. The whole package is in there.
1: It sounds like that whole book was a
0: whole package. Yeah. There was a whole package in a package. There was, I didn't read all of it, but the art flipping through it, all of it is, is awesome. And, um, the bizarro stories got awesome art. Uh, the plastic man story has awesome art. Um,
1: I'm going to give that Batman black and white a seven and a half. Um, and that's, that's kind of penalizing it a little bit for artists that I think would have been better color. Um, so I, I, I think that, I think it's pretty good.
2: Yeah, seven and a half, I, I'll go that way too. I, I totally agree with how you judged it. I hope they keep doing more though. Like that Wolverine, Black, White and Blood,
0: like I, I didn't yeah. give it a hugely great score, but please experiment more with that. Like allow some books to just be art first and story second. Um, okay, so uh, Roman is gonna do his thing and then Jeff's gonna be in the middle.
1: The middle, the middle Figley, is that what it is? And then we'll do
0: Django. Does that yeah? What what was the
2: name you came up with? Figley in the middle.
0: Figley in the middle, I think, is what Django said. Middle Figley. You're not
2: Um, Figley, right? I'm
0: the youngest Figley. You're
2: the baby. Yeah. Baby Figley. Yeah. Baby Figley. Yeah, because it was some old game. Baby Um, Figley is a man. Some old game. Something in the middle. Yeah, that. Oh, Malcolm in the middle. No, that was Pickle a show. in the middle. It was a great show. <laughs> there was a board game at some point or a children's game. something in the middle. I Monkey in
0: what... the middle. It's a game that you play where you throw oh. things back and forth and leave some child a victim in the middle.
2: Also
1: a was not <laughs> was song.
2: So, uh, Django or Roman, um, <laughs> oh, one uh, of the two yeah. of you has to go first today. Okay. I'll go first. Um, Star Wars number nine. I bring up this book every now and then it's, it's so good. Darth Vader and the main Star Wars title are both so good. <laughs> Um, still Charles Suet, uh writing and Django. I think you dig this issue because basically it's a high story. Um, Leia and mm. the, and the rebels, they figure out the empire's broken. One of their codes Or like, how do we, we need to come up with a new code that can't break C-3PO, like being a language droid expert, whatever, figures out they can use this language of this dead race of like cave dwellers um, that's extinct and they're so obscure even he doesn't know their language but he knows how they what they can acquire to understand the language and base a code on it and what they can acquire is this old 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 language droid that's in the private collection of a museum curator on on Coruscant so they have to break hmm. into this museum steal that droid get the piece so of course it appealed to me because was like oh museums and Star Wars and oh this is cool. It's a heist and, and like Star
1: Wars wind talkers kind of.
2: Yeah. Like the, yeah. The, the Navajo. Yeah, yep. 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 Uh, yeah it tricked me a second. Yeah. I never saw it. But yeah. Um, and yeah, and they had to go to a heist, but they don't but it's since it's on Kuroscot, they're like, Well, Le- Leia's like, Well, I can't go. Luke, you can't go. I mean, we're all too important. If we captured on Kurascott, we're just dead. So they send this new team of people we're not familiar with. And Lando has to fly them there. And of course, you know, he doesn't want to. So it's just fun. It's just fun. And they get there and they do their heist. And, and, and it's a blast. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number nine, Al Ewing again. This issue, Andrew, friend of the show, got a hold of me about this because this is just a really cool, wild, like, I mean, it's a sci-fi title, but Ewing really leans into the science fiction here. Oh man, the art is innovative. I mean, each page is kind of broken up into alternating upside down, right side up triangles that connect the bottom and the top of the page. Boner. Hmm. And, and the sequence of events. And it's about Star-Lord who was killed a while ago, but got sent forward in time and space. And I don't remember Star-Lord's origin. It ties into his origin and the the somebody in the sun who has something to do with resurrecting him but it takes like 143 years so it's just about his star lord's life in this far future and the relationships he develops and then at the end gets blasted back to current time just in time for a uh, one of those big old gnoll dragons to be attacking and it was awesome and then i'm going to do a couple you know this uh a blaze I think it's just called a blaze comics. Yeah. They're doing a series of Conan stories, but they can't use the word Conan on the cover because whatever, whoever Mm -hmm. has the rights, uh, this issue is issue one. It's starting with an adaptation of the the frost giants daughter, one of Robert E. Howard's original stories. And it's beautiful. Um, the writer and artist are Robin, Robin Richt, right? Uh, and it's just gorgeous art and he or she expands the story, Robert E. Howard's short story, which is only a few pages. Um, he was only a few pages. He died when he was 30.
0: Robert E. Howard? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So his yeah, estate's
1: been raking it in.
0: I'm sorry. I'm just like, that's crazy. He was 30, yeah, 30 he, when he died. I think he shot himself. Wow. Didn't mean to derail things, but I yeah. just... No, that's...
2: no, no, that's... <laughs> um, yeah, I'm saying they just... Ex- expanded the story so your starts off with these vikings trekking through the snow with their wolves and then they meet conan and you know what what you would expect to happen happens and and it's beautifully drawn and yeah and and this uh the frost giant's daughter which she's mystical maybe some kind of sorceress she's watching from afar and she's uh She's excited at this this new warrior Conan that shows up, and so handily takes out these Vikings, and that's going to be continued with the next issue. But I'm really impressed. I hadn't read any of these uh, Ablaze Sumerian issues before. And the is art in good. that one looked gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, beautiful art. I think we're down to like two copies, and one of them's this mm-hmm. one's uh, Peach Momoko does the cover, and apparently that's a person that's their their art has been kind of in demand nowadays i think it has been mm-hmm. roman you're at five mary marvel minutes was there anything else you needed to cover no not really um i read the lace i don't know why it is but yusagi Yojimbo always just so good it, it gives me a lot of comfort just reading an issue of that it's it's like a meditation in comics and hmm. it's just i recommend it
1: i don't know <laughs> this is where we put the theme song for figley in the middle,
0: middle do middle we, do we do <laughs> scores for these special bits that we do i don't know do we i can't we'll, remember we'll create theme music for all these bits and there'll be clear intros and drops and it'll all make sense um roman if you have any clear scores you want to give i'd love to hear them
2: uh star wars poof, i'll give that one a nine guardians i'll give an 8.5 sumerian i will give an eight,
1: 8. that's a guy 9. that likes comic books
2: i'm gonna blast you
0: two really really quick spider man number five by jj abrams henry abrams art by sarah pacelli this is the final issue of this five issue spider-man series that started at least a year ago um came out incredibly slowly had a pandemic in the middle of it i think the whole time i was reading it i was i was just waiting for the end like this seems like an abram's movie like a jj abram's movie is like an hour and a half or two hour long thing that justifies the experience by the end and the first three or so issues of this had not justified the experience. I wasn't super interested in issue number four. I didn't read issue number four. And um, I read number five, and I really liked this. Relatively predictable. Seems like a dad and his son wrote it. Um, and that's awesome. But, you know, spoilers. They re- Mary Jane died in issue number one. Everyone was like, they're just... You know, I'm not going to read a book where they kill Mary Jane in issue number one, and it was all kind of transparently a device to get her back. This whole thing is Peter Parker dying as an adult so that his son can grow up with his mom. And um, this scientist has been trying to clone or recreate Mary Jane, and Peter dies as a sacrifice to turn uh, or, uh, her DNA into a human being, and his son gets to grow up with her pretty good pretty pretty heartwarming i read it right after dc uh last stories of the multiverse buddy i know i was like i want to leave this sort of like on the verge of tears because i liked that last Stories of the multiverse my whole life feels like it's we're on the last night before it all ends i'm sure a lot of listeners relate to that feeling right life feels like anyway so i was doing that and then i went into spider-man and it did that same thing so i really liked it i liked that if they want to do more of it cool Um, Marauders 16 by Jerry Duggan and Stefano Caselli this was one of the good issues of uh, Marauders I think that every like I think two out of three are very good and then one out of three can be kind of not that great and this is just Emma Frost and Kate Pride almost murdering Sebastian Shaw for an entire issue just like beating him up and making him their bitch in the best possible way and drinking his expensive whiskey drinking these exotic drinks that he cares a lot about from there like this that was brewed for the anniversary when the queen went to texas for the first time and they throw it in a fire um (laughs) giving his
1: his bathroom an upper decker
0: lockheed comes in and scratches his eye and pulls one of his eyes out and that is really cool he gets a he gets a patch on his eye And they're like, we can keep this all secret or we can go to the council about it. And he chooses to not go to the council about it. So they give him this poison and he's going to be in a lot of pain. And it was a very sadistic issue. And just before we get out of my Jeff in the middle, figling in the middle sequence, I just want to say that this is my five minutes. And I just want to talk about, I think that my problem with the Dawn of X movement, I think Hickman had this great 12 issue series or whatever it was. And then we had a year of comics and we had this big event and then we're moving out of that. And... I loved that Hickman series, and I really like his main X-Men book, but I think they created this great jumping-off point. And for a year now, it's felt kind of directionless. I thought while reading House and Powers of Ten that it was going to create this great unified standard of what the X-Men universe was moving towards. And instead, we've gotten like nine or ten different series that all – seem like they're struggling to find their footing on what the overall direction is. And I think I would, I wish that there was a sl- like a larger, the Hickman book had a clear arrow with which this whole corner of the universe was pointing. And mm-hmm. it felt like all of the subsequent series were moving in that direction and supporting it. But I'm just missing that general overall direction. So everything seems like it has a different tone and is fighting to find why it exists and the merit of it, merit of its existence.
1: So you're you're looking for kind of a showrunner sort of situation where he's he's maybe coaching them a little bit more into something that's unified with the rest of his story. And, from, to me, and on on X Men, he's just basically doing the the story of the Skywalkers. I mean, the Summerses, right?
0: Right, exactly. It's a Star Wars reference. Um, Django, you have a bit that goes now. It's uber Indry. My uncle hangs out at a bar and knows your uncle, and both of them show up there, and they both convince one another that they know the best song on the jukebox because the other doesn't know it. Talk about it.
1: Well, they're also playing poker with porno cards. Oh, Um, yeah.
0: Magnetic porno. porno.
1: So this is about as close to indie as DC gets, but Sweet Tooth The Return, number two, uh, Jeff Lemire... Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire, and Jose Villarubia. The uh, first issue, we were a little bit worried that it was gonna be kind of too much of a rehash of the original series. The second issue gives us some better mystery. It doesn't give us kind of a beat for beat first trade paperback recap of the the original story. And it has one of the weirdest cliffhangers I've ever seen in in a comic. because I thought that I knew what was going to happen, and you turn the page to the last page. And it's not, it's not at all what I expected to see, and I'm really curious about it. Um, a little bit less indie, I read Superman's special Endless Winter Part 3. Jeff and I listened to another podcast. Um, it's the iFanboy podcast, and uh, they had a very different take on Endless Winter than we did. I think across the board, we all thought Endless Winter was kind of a dumb... Unfun throwback to the '90s, and they thought that it was an awesome throwback to the '90s. So, I decided to keep reading the endless winter stuff because if those guys could see something in it that I can relate to, maybe maybe I can. So, I read this one. I'm going to read the next couple. It's fine. It's I didn't. It's fine. It's fine. I'm glad Phil Hester can see again because he's a good artist. Um, seven secrets. Number five. I think this was one of my favorite of the last three or four issues. Um, definitely not one of my favorite art explorations in this series. So uh, manga. It got super, super manga, and that is a pretty solid turnoff for me. Yep. Um mm-hmm. but the story's great, the intrigue is great, the just like The super fatalistic future person narrating this story is entertaining to me. Like, oh, yeah, I saw saw a whole bunch of dead people that day, but it wasn't the most I was going to see. I also read the, the Sandman universe lock and key number zero, not really knowing what it was. It turns out that it's reprints from the first issue of Sandman. It's a bunch of covers. It's uh, a bunch of ads. And then it's also from lock and key. It has a list of all of the keys in the known universe of the the lock and key universe, which is super cool to kind of set you up for how that, how the mechanisms of that universe works. And also, I don't know, like a, like a 12 or 15 page short story in the lock and key universe set way in the past with characters. I don't think we ever meet again that, is also uh, a little Nemo in slumberland reference. And uh, I'll just say that the, uh, I've read that one before and the last stories of the DC universe, isn't the only comic that actually made me cry this week. Um, The lock and key story is worth the price of admission. I'm really excited for the lock and key and Sandman crossover. I also read Scarant hood number two, Nick, Roche and Chris O'Halloran. It's still a long read and it's still really good. This this guy's got a really good handle on pacing and um, building relationships and, and when to reveal backstory for different characters and, and how to do it. Um, yeah, there's there's two cliffhangers on one page at the end of that. And it's, I really, really like it. And then I read Homesick Pilots by Image. Um, that, was, that was written by Dan Waters and illustrated by Caspar Windyard. It is a haunted house ghost story with a couple of like rock and roll bands set in 1994. And about four pages in, I was like, this is dumb. And by the end, I was like, this is fucking great. I I would uh I I, I think anybody who likes kind of grunge bands or ghost stories at all or just like teen teen ensemble comics would really dig that. Nice. Uh Sweet Tooth the Return, I'm gonna give that a seven and a half. Superman special, Endless Winter Part Three. I'm gonna give it a seven, but I'm gonna keep reading those things. I'm gonna be a stubborn bastard with that. Uh seven secrets number five, I'm gonna give that a seven seven and three quarters sandman lock and key gets an eight scared hood number two a nine maybe a nine and a half i don't know man i really like that comic and homesick pilots gets an eight
0: nice 206 perfectly simple podcast Django, clean it up for us uh did we get any voicemails or anything emails i thought we had something
1: uh if we if we don't we could if we do we could put them off
0: we do have them we do have them I think we have to put them off. <laughs> I think we uh, have to so, put them off, yeah, don't let's we? put them off. I love guests on the podcast. I want more of it. But the time frame and my ability to just understand where I'm at chronologically with what I've recorded is it's thrown out the window when that happens. So I love it.
1: I love it. I, I do uh, too. I've got to keep you off balance so I you do can too. stay on balance.
0: But without knowing on paper, I think we might be at our max. So well,
1: So thanks for joining us for episode Seattle. Uh, which is mm-hmm. 206, mm-hmm. and uh, thanks to Jim Blanchard, you can find him at jimblanchard.com. You can get his stuff. Uh, he's, he's got a handful of phantographics books. He does a really cool thing um, where if if something important happens with someone that he's drawn, he'll put it up on the internet, and um, you know, similar to what Bill Sienkiewicz does when it's somebody's birthday or somebody dies. And Jim's art is spectacular, uh, photorealistic stippling um let's see if you want to
0: well just have- on that note uh jim blanchard people should check it out he he mentioned doing hate with peter Bag. he mentioned that casually that's like a seminal it's huge that's a yeah. huge piece of underground alternative comic history so peter Bag, hate jim blanchard like significant check that out um and just the whole Fantographic crew we were talking about ed piscor on there like zip all of that stuff if you're into some really nerdy dry shit like i am that was really really cool so he, he he's a, actually a part of some really cool uh local comic history so that's awesome you should check out his book visual abuse we have a couple copies left it might be out of print honestly at this point
1: um if you want us to put your voicemail or your email off. You can send it to info at com or, or Jeff at, at thecomicsplace. We at, migrated it. Better. Jeff at Um
0: And we'll put those emails off like or like we have done today.
1: Or we'll do a whole episode on them, you know?
0: We'll do it tomorrow. Are,
1: are we keeping a normal schedule for Christmas? Are we going to skip an episode? Are we, are we? Is this our last episode of the year? Tell me, tell me what you're thinking, Jeff.
0: I think we'll keep a normal schedule. I All know right. that we had Christmas issues this week. But um, unless the store gets too busy. Doesn't feel like it will. I love um, a Christmas episode. And I, yes, I think people should all rely on a Christmas episode. Well, I'll I'll do, listen, I'll do me and then we'll do Roman. And then we'll start just closing out on Django with his questions. So everyone, thank you for listening to episode 206. As
2: always, I am Jeff. And I am Roman. And I've got a question. Fuck oh. Yes. <laughs> no i don't don't. what's your question man
1: i'm I'm django and my question is does the marvel universe do the marvel universe characters have to watch dc movies yes you're not supposed to answer okay Oh damn (laughs) do the dc universe characters get to watch marvel universe movies
0: (laughs) oh we'll see you all next week thank you